Do you have any questions before we get started? I know you're going to ask me about um, how I was get, how I got into muzzleloading, but I'm kind of curious about that for you. Yeah. Too. Um, I haven't talked a lot of, about it a lot on the show, um, but my both of my grandparents, both of my grandfathers on each side of the family um, were into it, and my my mother's my mother's father got started in the 1930s here in Indiana and um, and has had been shooting ever since really since from the from 1938 till about 2008 or so um, wow yeah so I was I was very fortunate my both of my parents met at a a, a muzzleloading shooting match and so I was really born into it having it both of it having it on both sides of the family made it really easy for me to to fall in love with it and and enjoy it as much as I do. Hi, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Today we're talking with my friend David Belzer from Pennsylvania. I met David online. He runs a YouTube channel called The Squirrel Tail, but he's also active in the muzzleloading community, manages a few Facebook groups related to muzzleloading, and is, I think, really active and really setting a great example for somebody getting out there and, and sharing their love of muzzleloading with others. So, David, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to the show. You're welcome. So I, I wanted to have you on, and you're, I would say, probably another young person when it comes to muzzleloading. Is that right? Yeah, I'm in my mid-20s. Okay, so. yeah. So I wanted to have you on to, to kind of give your perspective as somebody, you know, as a younger person getting into it. I, tr I try to balance, you know, both sides of, of people interested in muzzleloading. But, you know, to introduce yourself a little bit, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what your area of focus is when it comes to muzzleloading? So, yeah, I've been born and raised in Pennsylvania, lifelong hunter. And that is how, through my family, that is how I got into muzzleloading. It is a little different in, so my grandfather shot competition in the 50s and 60s. Okay. Um, if you've heard of Charleville, it's down towards Southeast PA. Mm -hmm. They have a, a pretty, a pretty notable muzzleloading club. He used to shoot bench guns and things like that. And then he was also an active muzzleloader hunter. Now he got out of the competitive shooting, you know, competitively shooting muzzleloaders before I was born. Okay. So even my dad was pretty young. My dad went to a few shoots and he also was a gun builder. He built, we have a couple of the muzzlers he built, including a few that he rifled the barrel himself, Wow! which I have his rifling machine. Oh, that's um, awesome. And then, so we've, I've always had that interest. We've always had muzzlers around, but then what really started me to get into it more from more of just a casual interest to more hardcore was when I was 12, we went down to Dixon's muzzleloading show mm -hmm. in Kempton, Pennsylvania. And we walked there and I got into making powder horns and then I got into buying gun parts. And that really, it went from something, oh yeah, we, you know, from hunting to every day playing with muzzleloaders and I got into building Another name. Now, when I got into building, unfortunately, my grandfather was out of it so long, he forgot a lot. Mm -hmm. But I was fortunate to meet a guy named Nathan McKenzie, who was a pretty notable builder 
and I was fortunate that he lived only about an hour drive from me. So he actually, when it came to the building aspect, um, he really was able to mentor me. We'd go a 36 caliber together. Unfortunately, he passed away, mm. but I did learn a lot from him. And, and then he showed me a lot of little tips and that's why I'm like, I'm not good at writing stuff down, but I'm like, I want to try to document them. And that was the original goal of my YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah. To document his trips. Initially, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll make money on it. But I kind of was like, no, because, but that's how I got into that mm-hmm. um, aspect of it. And what's my focus I like the building aspect because I'm also a machinist by trade, so that appeals to me. Yeah, definitely. I think there's been many a generation of muzzleloading enthusiasts that were machinists. (laughs) It is. Well, it is nice because, you know, if you want to, you can start making your own stuff. And that's one thing in my grandfather's era and probably your grandfather's era, Mm -hmm. you didn't go buy a Kibler kit. Yep. You know, it was... Um, he actually had old original barrels. The one gun we have that he built, um, is it was an original barrel that was shot out that he reamed out and then hand rifled. Oh, that's cool. All the parts are pre-1850 on the gun, except for the stock. Mm -hmm. And my dad actually has taken two or three deer with it. That's great. And that's, I can really respect the craftsmanship and the other interest. It's kind of an oddball is I, well, it's, I like the oddball guns. I have a Ferguson. Mm-hmm. I am building a swivel breech. I have castings for a wheel lock, which I haven't got to yet for the mechanism. Mm-hmm. But so I definitely kind of have an eye towards the oddball stuff. Well, being a being a machinist by trade, you can really work that stuff out. I don't know that I'm. I'd really like to build a swivel breech here at some point. But the things like a like the wheel lock and the Ferguson, I would I think I would need a lot of help to to put that together. <laughs> uh, the Ferguson, I'll be honest, that's uh, that was a kit. It was rifle shop. Oh yeah, yeah. What'd you think of that? I don't hear a lot of reviews about their kits very often. It was kind of weird. How I didn't buy it from Rifle Shop. Okay. That was the story with that was is another sad story, but Nate bought it. He actually bought it off Dixon's uh-huh. shop, muzzle loading shop. He bought the kit, someone brought it in, and he had about eighty percent done. Hmm. And then when he passed, his wife sold it to one of his friends, and then that friend got ill. And then he knew he was couldn't work on it, and he thought that I would be the one that Nate would want to have it. So that's how I ended up. So okay. by the time I got the kit, it was 80% finished. Hmm. So I ended up finishing it, and the gun shoots good. It's good construction. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's with our kits, it'd be hard to compare a Ferguson to other kits because it's not like it's a brown best where you can take 
two different kits and compare them. Right. But I would say I'm happy with the construction. It shoots good. And if you're at the range, it's definitely something that's interesting to shoot. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. And my swivel breech action, that's actually a college project. Okay. I was able to use a wire EDM machine, which is mm-hmm. really high tech. Yeah. It uses a electrically discharged wire to cut steel. And that was a college project I did. Nice. So what did like your classmates or your your instructors think uh, as you were working on this swivel breech project? That's pretty neat. Well, I was fortunate that the one instructor was a fellow muzzleloader firearms enthusiast. Okay. Um, now dealing with the college policies, they are always going back and forth on guns. Mm. Um, on when I started there, um, they were giving, I was, ha- I was having trouble. I wanted to make the brooch for the rifling machine, mm-hmm. which is nothing really, you know, it's just a tool. Yeah. They were hesitant about that, but then when I left, people had AR lowers on the machines. <laughs> but um, I was fortunate to have a instructor there. I never actually am in class, but he was in the machine shop, mm-hmm. and he was very interested in that. And I actually, a lot of the parts I made, I made two of them for him to have one, too. I don't think he's worked on his too much, but... Um, but it was an interesting thing because a lot of my, um, friends at college, they were more into the modern guns, so they were interested and that's kind of one thing I think it's good to do is to make sure we talk to, you know, you have the firearms community Mm -hmm. and then you have the muzzling community. We share a lot in common together. Oh yeah. And um I will I'm the guy that'll show up to the range with a muzzle loader, a World War II rifle and an AR. Mm-hmm. So I like to in- let someone who's shooting an AR shoot my flintlock or I know I'm getting off topic. No, but you're good, you're good. That's something that I find to be one of the best ways of promoting the sport. Mm-hmm is to go to the public ranges. So I always used to shoot my muzzleloaders on the days that no one was there mm-hmm. because it was easier, peaceful, like when you're loading, if you need to check your target. But I have been going more when there's more people around to allow people to shoot them. Yeah. Hmm. But So – Jumping back in a little bit to our questions here, what is it that you that you enjoy about muzzleloading? You know, what keeps you coming back when there's when there's so much more, you know, there's a lot of things out there that you can do and enjoy. What is it about muzzleloading for you that keeps bringing you back? I think it's a this I mean, I'm a big history buff, so a big part of it it's history. Mm-hmm. Um and to shoot something that is 200 year old technology. I just feel that connection. Yeah. I mean, you're never going to fully live that experience. Um, but 
you know, to be hunting in the woods and especially being in Pennsylvania, you know, it's like, okay, these are the rifles that were used when they sold that. I mean, it would be the same for Indiana for yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And to be in the woods with a Pennsylvania long rifle, there's just something about it. So is that a, I've talked to a, a few folks from Pennsylvania, but is that a, a big part of, of the culture there, you know, for hunting and, and outdoorsmen? And, you know, can you talk a little bit about what muzzleloading is like in Pennsylvania? Are there a lot of like clubs or, or gun shows, or is it, you know, more just focused on the hunting aspect of it? Cause Pennsylvania has the, the famous Flintlock only hunting season that everybody seems to enjoy. Yeah. I mean, it's, Definitely. I mean, there's quite a few clubs around. There's one really close to me that has a long waiting list to get into, and I haven't actually gotten to it yet. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I will say it is a lot of most of the people you see shooting, that's their goal, because for a lot of people, it's if you don't get your deer that that month-long flintlock season can be your um, chance to get your deer if you haven't got one already. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it is definitely hunting, but then you do have plenty of people who are into the history. Um, you know, I'm only two hours from Lancaster, and all oh, the yeah. you know the birth of the American long rifle. Mm-hmm. Um. I know you're familiar with the Gunmakers Fair, and I've mentioned it before. That's only about two hours from me. So it's definitely, I mean, it's part of our history. I know the Pennsylvania Long Rifles are state gun. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's obviously pretty. Yeah, that's pretty great to have a state gun. That's a muzzleloader. Yeah, and that's something that's... Um. I do. I think the hardest part for the community as a whole is getting people our age into it. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, every once in a while, I mean, because we all shooting sports around here, I don't think you could live in a. You'd be struggled to live in a better area than I am right now for mm-hmm. the shooting sports. But it's trying to actually get people with the muzzle orders out there. Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of leads us into the the Facebook groups that you manage because that's, I think, a, a big part of, of getting people interested, you know, and, and these discussions and, uh, you know, communities online where people can, um, you know, get together and talk and learn from each other. So, you know. When did you start, you know, working with these Facebook groups and what's it like managing them? Because, I mean, you have several groups with a lot of people in them. See, that, that it was kind of like when I started that, that was probably 2015. Okay. And there was another group and it was at the time like the only uh, muzzleloading group that I was aware of that was on Facebook. And they posted this thing that they wanted it to be only like it was an organization. I forget their name, and because this story shines them in a semi bad light, I don't want to mention it. But they posted that 
they were going to remove anyone who's not a paying member of their organization. Hmm. And I, at the time, I, like, I was getting into it. I had a gun I was working on. I was always posting photos. And I'm like, there's this organization that I'm not aware of. At the time, I was a college student, so I was already a member of the NMLRA and the Horn Guild. So I'm like, I didn't really want to pay another dues to mm-hmm. use this group. So that's when I created the primitive muzzle order site and it quickly grew um, from first day. I think I had 20 and the next day I was like, it was like 700 members and now it's just shy of 10,000. Wow. So, and it's, it's enjoyable. Definitely an enjoyable experience. Um, I have, I'll be honest, I probably would have deleted my Facebook if I didn't have this Facebook group. Right, yeah. Because um, I'll be honest, I don't like computers. <laughs> um, I'm not, but, I mean, I, and I enjoy the group. I enjoy, it's such a great way because it was, before I had the group, it was, okay, I went, to Dixon's and then the Artisan show. So they were about six months apart. And that was pretty much between them, other than a couple friends, my dad and other people super local. Mm-hmm. I didn't have much communication with the community. And I especially think it's important for people because, I mean, I think probably both of us, if you're in Indiana, cause you're, pretty close to friendship then yeah i'm about four hours from there yep okay um i mean i would say we're both probably fortunate in the states we live in oh absolutely yeah i hear stories from you know folks out west in the much less populated states and it's really hard for them to get into muzzleloading and to and to find a group because there's just so much space and and so few people out there and that's why I definitely think the online, um, I mean, that's definitely the place. I'm still a firm believer that um, you do need the shows. You need the face-to-face communication. Yeah, absolutely. But to supplement that with online or, if, you know, with price of fuels, you can't get to every show. Yeah. To be able to communicate, to reach out to different um, people and obviously people our age and younger, that's sometimes the only way to reach out to them is through the internet. Um, And of course, not to get into politics, we are, Facebook is not the most pro, I mean, we're always playing with the rules, but yeah, you know, trying to make sure we can keep the group so long, I think is definitely an important aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with YouTube, because I remember um, when I got into power horns, making power horns, that's the first thing I did. If you went, and so this would have been like 2010, 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. You went on YouTube, there was almost no, like I typed in powder horn 
and there was one guy talking about an old horn in a museum. Now there's probably four or five video series on how to make powder horns. Yeah. Because I know I have one. I know you have one. I'm sure there's plenty more. So if someone is not, doesn't have that aspect, you know, doesn't have a Nate McKenzie nearby to show them how to work on this stuff. Having a YouTube video is the second best thing. Oh yeah. It's, it might not be perfect, but you know, if it, if it gets some people interested in it, you know, that's, that's a big thing. This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. Thor Bullets are a premium full-bore muzzleloader bullet designed specifically for modern inline rifles. Thor Bullets do not require plastic sabos or belts to be fired, meaning less cleaning for you between shots. The patented copper base creates an airtight seal, giving you greater distance and accuracy. Thor's unique engineering allows the bullets to retain 95% of their weight upon impact, and the controlled expansion ensures large, easy-to-follow blood trails. Thor bullets are currently available in a 50 caliber version that is sized to your specific bore. Thor is also expanding into a new 45 caliber bullet designed for faster 1 in 24 and 1 in 22 twist inline rifles. For more information on these great bullets, visit www.thorbullets.com. We'd like to thank Thor Bullets for their sponsorship of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Muzzleloader Magazine, the publication for traditional black powder shooters. Since 1974, Muzzleloader has been the leading magazine devoted to traditional black powder hunting and shooting. Each issue is jam-packed with articles on hunting, shooting, gunsmithing, do-it-yourself projects, living history, American history, book and product reviews, and much, much more. Muzzleloader Magazine is the best traditional muzzleloading magazine, bar none. I'd like to thank Jason at Muzzleloader Magazine for his continued support of I Love Muzzleloading and the I Love Muzzleloading podcast. I don't care what you're into. If you're interested in muzzleloading, this is the kind of magazine I think you need to check out. I've been a fan of Muzzleloader Magazine even before the sponsorship. Uh, I've always been impressed with what Jason has been able to put out with Muzzleloader Magazine, and it really means a lot for him uh, to be supporting I Love Muzzleloading and our efforts over here. Thank you, Muzzleloader Magazine, for your support. And see, I mean, my the first Muzzleloader I built was built from a book. Hmm. And then I showed it to Nate and he was like, I think I can help you improve this. Yeah. So maybe I think that can also be nervous trying to ask someone to help you too. Yeah. So that's the other thing. And maybe you get started and then you find the guy to apprentice, you know, just the more quality information that's out there, the better. Yeah. So you've been, you know, really watching and being a a part of the community online for quite a while now. Have you seen an uptick of interest in in muzzleloading, do you think, you know, in your group and then across the other communities that you're involved in? Um, Yeah, I would say there's definitely an increase Um, to some extent. I'm I do worry, though. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like I looked mm-hmm. at my, and I'm sure you see on your stats on, they'll say your age breakdown. Yeah. I think my channel's like 85%, 55 and older. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. Is that is that the same roughly what you see or my mine started that way, and I'm I'm now fifty fifty basically. So I'm I'm just over fifty percent under the age of fifty. Okay, that that that's um that makes that's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm but it is you know that's still you know I, I think we talk about it a lot you know online and you know on the podcast and things about the age breakdown of, of muzzleloading enthusiasts. But I, th- I think that even if there is a little data, you know, that shows that more younger people are getting interested in it, I think it shows that it's going to have, it's going to be passed on to another generation, you know? And, and that's, um, I mean, definitely like, I think the hardest thing just trying to get, I mean, get people interested is you're not shooting fast. It's trying to get the patience Mm -hmm. of the sport. The one thing I always tell people when I'm trying to get someone, you know, I I need 20 shots to go have fun with a muzzle order for like an afternoon. Yeah. You can, I take one of my ARs and with 20 shots and it's barely, you know, 10 minutes of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like it's nothing. And even like a bold action, it's only, that's the one thing I always try to, when I'm at a range, like, cause right now people are complaining with some modern guns, just how expensive it is mm-hmm. to fuel them. Yeah. Yeah. Right now is a really, really expensive time to sh- try to shoot anything modern. Um, I mean, I, there's, a group of guys that I shoot World War II guns with on Saturdays, and I used to shoot 50 shots. I'm now, I might load up 20. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, but I always tell people, like, if you want to go to the range, actually spend time there and not um, have to take a loan out. Muzzle learning is one of the greatest ways to do it. Yeah. And if you shoot a muzzle or good, you can shoot anything. Oh yeah. Um, there's been a few times at the range when I've just been. One time, I I love that 36 caliber because there's minimal recoil, mm-hmm. and I let a guy and his dad. They were there sighting in their deer rifle, and kid was probably 10 years old. Not his dad. I talked to him and his dad, and his dad let him take a shot. And, then I ran into him a few weeks later, and the kid asked for a CVA kit for Christmas. Um, so that kind of – I still think online is great, but doing the in-person – Absolutely. Talking to people is hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't beat that smile. Like I know exactly what you're talking about is, is when you're at the range – or you're at an event and, and you let somebody shoot a muzzleloader for the first time, you know, they get that black powder smile on it. And that's just well, the that, best thing ever. It was so funny because this 10 year old kid, I had a target at 25 yards. A bullet went dead, dead square in the center. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, probably a little luck and you yeah. know, I'm sure his dad worked with him, but I'm like, that's perfect because now he, you could tell just the way he wanted to shoot him again. Mm-hmm. 
he ain't went back to be his only time. And I will the first, and that's another great one I love taking to the public range because even if someone has shot a flintlock before, they see that and it's just, what's this? Yeah. And I think the swivel breach might be the same way. And if I ever build that wheel lock. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, everybody kind of has their in their head, you know, what a muzzleloader is. And those really unique pieces can can really set somebody's experience apart, especially if it's their, you know, first or, you know, one of their very early exposures to it. And on the same token, one thing I do worry about is I've seen people with like 70s kit guns. Mm-hmm. If that's what you have, that is not a good tool for getting people interested. Cause yeah, this can be a little finicky. I know I was in high school. We had a marksman club and the teacher brought one of them and it was like he spent all day. Like they were literally taking turns trying to get the thing to go off <sighs> Jeez. to see like that was the game to see who it would go off for. Uh-huh. That's not it, fun. That is probably the worst thing to do. And that's one of the things I think is definitely also going to help the sport is affordable, good quality muzzlers. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't have a, Kibler kit, but I've I've been around them. I mean, for the price to get someone a quality muzzleloader, you can't beat that good quality. Oh yeah, I I tell people that you know for a little bit more money, you know, after you start looking at especially some of the Italian muzzleloaders, for a little bit more, you can have something that you don't. I don't think you're going to have the desire to upgrade or tinker with, or, you know, have a little buyer's remorse about, I don't, I don't think it's there for one of those. And I don't think we've had that, you know, as easy it is as it is to put one of those together for, for a long time. And there's a lot of great, you know, other kit manufacturers that build a premium kit, but it it takes a lot of tools and a lot of effort to put together. And Kibler really lowered that barrier to entry. I think. That's one of the things, like if you just want, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love, the hand-built, one-of-the-kind mm-hmm. deals. Like, to be the guy with the only gun like that is cool. Um, but if you just want to hunt with and shoot, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, my dad has one, and the thing shoots great. Um, he's taken six or seven deer with it. Wow. Um. It actually got to the point where with modern rifles in the past six years, we've maybe only taken in the last five years, we've probably only taken two out of 10 deer with modern rifles. Hmm. Um, so, that's another, but what, so what makes you, makes you pick hunting with a muzzleloader over a, over a modern rifle? Um, Mainly the history. It's um, feeling that, um, you know, doing the way our founders did it mm-hmm. is great. I mean, I will be honest, part of it is the seasons. Um, in Pennsylvania, you have the flintlock season. You also have an early muzzleloader season. 
which that's open to everything, but we always hunt with it with flip locks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that is, that's normally the season we get our deer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be honest. I hunt with modern, I hunt and shoot with modern guns too, but there's just a thing about, especially when you build. Yeah. If you have, I mean, if you have a gun, you build, you cast the ball, you almost did everything in the process. Um, I mean, I'll be, I've taken one with a flintlock, one deer. My dad's taken a pile of them. Um, and just the satisfaction of, hey, this is a gun I built. Um, you know, it's just that sense of pride compared to going and going to the sporting goods store, buying a bold action rifle and a box of ammo. And, right. You know, there's that, it's a challenge. It's a, the pride of it. Yeah. It's doing it the hard way. Yeah. And it's, you know, you can say, I did this the way the people did it 200 years ago. Um, cause yeah, I took one deer with a, with a foot lock. It was a 62 caliber Jaeger I built. Okay. It was the best time ever. <laughs> I, um, we had breakfast at the fire hall. I left the fire hall cause it was raining a little bit. And I said, I'm heading up to my father. Walked to the top of the hill. The deer walked out 25 yards. It was 20 minutes from when I left the fire hall when I had the deer down <laughs> just lined up perfect it just it walked out gave, walked out 25 yards it was a nice mature doe stood there broadside um that's you know it's it's a fun thing and I love shooting them I love building them I mean that's there's a couple when I have a little more time, a couple more oddball ones I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with a Lorenza? Yes, yes. That is one of my projects. At some point, I want to try one. Awesome. Um, the wheel lock, I still... I, I mean, I know the demand's low, but I do wish that there was better access to parts for them. Yeah. I don't know if you've looked into getting one at all or if you have one. No, I'd like to have, I'd like to have some of those older, you know, ignition system muzzleloaders, but yeah, it's just hard to get a hold of one. You know, there's those guys over in Europe that are, that seem to be building modern reproductions, but it's, it's difficult to get here in the States. Um, I, well, the company and I won't say their name, um, they took me three years to get the parts, and half the parts were not usable. Ah. Um, so that's where I'm at, and it's that's gonna be a project. Yeah, later down, but you know that's and that's something that a lot of people don't even aren't even aware of them. Mm-hmm. And that's another great aspect of YouTube is being able to inform people. I know you've had a couple original wheel locks on your channel Mm -hmm. and I've really enjoyed looking at them. Well, thank you. Um, cause yeah, you don't even, you don't see that kind of stuff seldom at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, that stuff's pretty rare. Um, but it's so just. I mean, I don't that to me from being a machinist, the mechanics of it. Yeah. Like if you like even with the Ferguson, you look at the threads. Yeah. Because we've actually discussed it with different modern machinists trying to do those threads on modern equipment is very, very difficult. Yeah, like yeah. we would have to make fix specialty fixtures to do it in order specialty cutters. Mm-hmm. And they were doing nope, it by I'm, hand. Yeah. It's well, they used a little rifling machine. Yeah. And, you know, and then the history being the first breech loader to be used in combat. So I hope I'm not getting off topic too much. No, no, you're good. You're good. I, that's what I like about doing these and just chatting with people and hearing what they have to say and, and what they enjoy about it. You know, I think we've really kind of gone through a lot of the, a lot of the questions here. You know, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? I always try to give the guests too, you know, a, a chance to, you know, tell people where they can find you. You know, it's a, a chance for you to talk about your, your Facebook group and, and your YouTube channel too. And hopefully we can send some folks your way. Okay, well, my um, Facebook group is Primitive Muzzleloaders. Just shy of 10,000 members. And then my YouTube channel is The Squirrel Tail. I will be honest, the video editing aspect is something is not my expertise. So I do apologize in advance. You're <laughs> not getting top tier. Oh, you don't need to apologize. Your videos are fine, man. Don't You don't need to apologize. Come on now. I mean, I do my best, but I have a GoPro and a laptop. That's So you mind if I ask you a few questions or would that yeah. be... Yeah, go for it, um, man. How did, what made you decide to start a YouTube channel? I've always enjoyed, you know, YouTube. I, I remember finding it in the early 2000s, like on dial-up and like pausing the videos to, to let them buffer, you know, really early days of YouTube. And pausing, I, waiting, 15, yeah, waiting 15 minutes, go out take the dog out, whatever. Yeah. I'm coming back in and, and hoping that it was, it was buffered a little longer. And I've always just, I think I, I grew up in a really, uh, you know, the right time. And I've always been interested in it. Um, just as, as a means for, for people to share things. And I, uh, at the time did a lot of little stop motion animations with, with my cameras and, and my Legos, you know, and doing a bunch of things. That's cool. and, and, um, you know, went on to, to go to school and, and studied animation and storytelling and, and YouTube was always kind of a part of that, you know, as a means for somebody to independently publish stuff that other people could see. And, uh, you know, kind of as I got older and my, my grandparents, you know, began to pass away and I, I kind of reconnected with muzzleloading with that, you know, and, and hearing them talk about their experiences and, and by that time, you know, there's been a ton of people on YouTube doing muzzleloading stuff. And, and to me, it just kind of clicked, you know, this is something I could enjoy doing and, and, and have fun with. And that's, that's really where it got started. Yeah, that's, it is almost perfect for you because it's almost combining your two hobbies. Yes. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think that is my biggest downside as me trying to create YouTube content is, I'm always like, do I want to edit this video or do I want to go to the range? Yeah. <laughs> do I want to go edit this video or do I want to go run the forge? Yeah. Because 
I went into this YouTube thing and, oh, I can just run a camera while I'm in the shop and then post it online. It'll be super easy. Yeah. Then I had a, a real, then me and my friend were sitting down for two hours or several hours to do edit a five minute video. And I'm like, well, this is a lot. Yeah. Because if you actually look at my release, there was a huge gap. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is definitely a huge benefit because it used to be you had to either have a whole collection of books or you had to know the right people, access to museums. Yeah. And that's that's how I look at it is I'm not, you know, the the stuff that you find in books and the stuff you find in museums, I mean, that's like proper stuff. I mean, that's as good as it gets. And I, I don't ever claim, and, and I know you don't either, you know, to be that level of it. I, I see more of what I do as kind of that introductory sense that, you know, somebody bumping around on YouTube can come across this stuff and it might lead them down the road of then, you know, going to museums, finding a local club or, you know, investing in their own little library of books to start learning. But it's hard to beat, you know the the freeness of YouTube and, and being online to be that initial primer for folks. Do you want to buy a, if you're just starting to develop an interest, do you want to go spend, buy a $70 book or you want to go do a quick Google search and find a channel? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think is one of the great aspects of, because I mean, it's so, the worlds are in some aspects so opposite from mm-hmm. each other. You know, you have, cause that was one thing I used to do younger is my first couple of guns I built without power tools. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, you do have, but it's like ha- combining the two worlds can be such a wonderful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, and that's why, and that's why when I kind of seen you posting, you know, I'm like, okay, we have another young person. Um, well, I was definitely, I was f- glad I was able to come on. Yeah, I'm happy to have you, David. It's it's been a lot of fun talking with you and, and catching up. I mean, we don't. I think this is pr- probably the first time we've talked. You know, not through messages, but uh, you know, or comments and things. But it's always nice to catch up with you. I mean, I think one of the biggest things with the community is we have to stick together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'd like to thank David for coming onto the show and talking with us about his passion for muzzleloading. We'll have links to his YouTube channel and the Facebook groups that he's involved in in the show notes down below, as well as in the video description for this episode. It's been a busy spring for us here at I Love Muzzleloading. I've got a a few projects, a few irons in the fire, I guess you could say, uh, as we head towards kind of the active muzzleloading season as events and competition starts to pick up before the fall hunting seasons. We've been publishing regularly on the I Love Muzzleloading YouTube channel and on the blog on the website. I have a few episodes in the queue here for the podcast as we head into late May and June. Uh, Some really neat folks I think you're going to be excited to hear from uh, some interesting stories and topics that uh, that many of you have requested over the last few weeks. 
I wanted to mention I've received quite a few requests or, or comments about uh, the Isle of Muzzloading hats that I wear in our videos and, and at events and things. I had a few of those hats made up and those are available now for purchase at the uh, at ilovemuzzloading.com. Absolutely no pressure at all. Um, I just wanted to make some available for you out there if you're interested in a hat that uh, that shows people that you love muzzloading. As the episode wraps up here, I wanted to give a quick shout out to reenactingschedule.org. This is not a sponsored uh, shout out in any way. It's just a, a project that's put on by Frank Jarbeau, a good friend here in the living history and muzzloading community. He's working really hard to organize a reenacting calendar for reenactors and living historians all across the world, the United States, and all across a bunch of different eras of reenacting. So if you're interested in, you know, portrayal of, of living history related to muzzleloaders, you really need to check out this website. It's got a calendar for the entire year and even into next year for all over, uh, it, you know, no matter where you're at location-wise, you can submit your event and, and have it published on the website and, and attract some more people, both uh, attendees, you know, general public, as well as demonstrators and, uh, and, and historians looking to, to share their knowledge with the public. So check that out. I have a link for that down in the show notes down below. As always, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.